Hello, Monetization Nation. Over three years, Jason Barbado introduced, developed, and scaled a growth hacking program that generated more than $40 million of annual recurring revenue. This program became strategic and standard for more than 60 product teams. It's been recognized by the growth industry experts as best in class and enterprise level. Today, we're going to focus on how to use growth hacking to monetize a business. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business, causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan Gwilliam, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. Before IBM, Jason spent over a decade in digital marketing, building successful lead gen, demand gen, and growth programs for the agency space and for companies ranging from startup to enterprise. He's also been a marketing and growth consultant for more than seven years, a growth mentor and growth coach for more than two years, and currently serves as the vice president of growth at Orange Pegs, which is a U.S.-based growth and inbound marketing agency. Jason's industry expertise spans multiple verticals, including tech, SaaS, real estate, professional services, and more. So today we're going to be focusing on growth hacking, which I think is one of the big tectonic shifts happening today. And uh, super grateful to have Jason on the show with us. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Explain to us your journey of becoming a growth hacker and, a, and an entrepreneur. Uh, right out of school, I realized that uh, I was too slow and too small to be a professional athlete, let alone a college athlete. So I did the next best thing. I love to write and I love sports. So I went into the newspaper business because once upon a time, people opened their door in the morning and got a newspaper in their hands and read the news. And you know, at that time, that's all I wanted to do. And it went really well for five years. I got to experience a lot of amazing sporting events. Uh, you know, I, like I mentioned that I love golf. Uh, I met Tiger Woods. Um, didn't get to play with him, but I got to meet him at his tournament. Uh, I was at the first baseball game the Washington Nationals ever had. And I was down in the dugouts and in the clubhouse covering the Nationals. So a lot of really cool things, you know, college basketball tournaments, bowl games, NFL, NBA, lots of fun things. But uh, it was it, at the time it was it was still difficult to make a living. Um, and I learned that it would probably be best. I, I think I waited, made a wise choice in hindsight to take the qualities uh, that I really felt made me, you know, uh, sort of marketable uh, from journalism and parlay that into a marketing career. So, you know, project management, deadline management, uh, writing, uh, you know, obviously design, those different aspects when you're looking at a newspaper. Uh, that was sort of my origins. And, you know, like I said, in hindsight, luckily, I left the newspaper biz after about five years and, uh, inevitably, not surprisingly, two of the newspapers that I worked at are no longer in business. Uh, they're long gone. So again, took those things and I moved into marketing. I was uh, at an enterprise, a large global services company, worked there for about five years, uh, came in as a generalist. Uh, you know, just the skills that I mentioned, I could write, I could adjust that to audiences, I could deadline manage, project manage. Man walked into this big company. Uh, this is, again, a global services company by the name of Sodexo. Um, and it was, I had a, a, a digital magazine that I was the editor in chief for and a couple of e-newsletters. I managed the internal website, uh, made quite the progression. They, they, as digital marketing was really starting to take off at the time, I was in a really good place. Uh, I remember building Facebook pages that now have 
millions and billions of followers for this company for the very first time. And, you know, sort of blazing that trail in, in many ways around digital marketing for this huge enterprise, which was very humbling and, and really rewarding. By the time I left, uh, I had shifted into a, a, a sort of the, the editor-in-chief role, not just for publications, but for a bunch of global websites. And I was training executives around the world on how to write for the web, because at the time, people were still trying to grasp that ability, you know, being the short form, creating white space, the way you hyperlink, those really foundational things that are so natural to us now, were still coming about at that time. When I left there, uh, I took a series of more strategic roles uh, in real estate, at an agency, at a startup, where you know almost every time it was, we have a brick and mortar business, we're seeing this digital trend start to take place, we need leadership, we need to come, have someone to come in and be kind of that player coach, establish a strategy, you know, build an infrastructure, improve our website, we're gonna start activating our content, build a team, and then you know take us sort of into the next frontier. So there were a series of roles like that. Um, and then I got a little bit more involved with tech at Earthlink. And I always joke about Earthlink because yeah, Earthlink way back when was the other company that you would get a CD-ROM for. When AOL would send you their dial-up okay. CD, the other company a lot of times was Earthlink. And as crazy as it was, I, I spent about a year and a half at Earthlink. I came in as an SEO consultant and ended up basically taking ownership of their whole digital marketing program, which very competitive IT services, you know, with a considerable amount of ad spend, a lot of volume. Uh, it was a really, you know, really cool place to start my experiences in tech. Um, and it, I, again, I came in, like I said, as an SEO consultant, helped them optimize their website, went out and really took over all the channels. And uh, apparently that got IBM's attention. Uh, so about a year and a half after I was in that role, IBM called about a growth hacking role. And it was literally the first time I had really applied hearing the word lecture. I'd heard it, but to me, it was a buzzword. I was doing what I was doing learning a lot on the job, you know, doing a lot with my professional brand and my personal brand, tweeting a lot and sharing, sharing things on LinkedIn and Facebook and adding my commentary and you know, just trying to, to learn while sort of elevating myself in, in my career growth. And it got IBM's attention. You know, they really picked up in, in my narrative that I had become very data-driven and I like to run tests. So for them, by definition, I was a growth hacker and uh, they invited me into this role to basically jump in headfirst uh, into a very, very small, nimble, transformative team, uh, which in IBM is unique because IBM, you know, it's a 120-plus-year-old company, 400,000 employees. They don't have any trouble with their branding or their marketing most days. Uh, so for this little band uh, of, of, you know, villagers to come in and try to rattle the cage, I was really exciting, but it was really, really challenging. So I became a part of this very transformative but small, disruptive team again. We've got engineers that are trying to create a stack that's different from anything that IBM's ever had. Uh, data scientists and analysts that are trying to look at product journeys and experiences and usage in different ways. Uh, we had, you know, I, I guess uh, people that were focused on the end product experience, you know, sort of hands-on. How can we onboard? How can we nurture? How can we get more people through activation and adoption to become those really loyal users that are going to maintain and you know, have our products become essential, et cetera. And my job was sort of, like I said, the front line. So I would jump in with the product team, look at their data, uh, look at the contributors in the room, and we would find a way to start to use data to run tests. Now, foundationally, that was my job, was to establish a model, a, a format for that within IBM that could, number one, become profitable. And then once it's proven profitable, become highly scalable. So any team can jump in and utilize the program. So... 
again, I make it sound like it was easy, but it took a year and a half just to get some early adopting product teams to find a model that would actually work, especially given, you know, to me, this was like my own startup. Uh, I was alone for the majority of the time. I did ju jump in with somebody else and she actually ended up taking a sort of a different role within our team. Uh, I was sort of spearheading this growth hacking movement on my own uh, while adjusting to, you know, the enterprise culture that comes with any large company with the size and scope of IBM. Even that took a little time just to understand the systems and, you know, the, 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 the sort of the, the hierarchy and all those different things. So like I said, about a year and a half in, finally got a couple of really large IBM product teams, large in the sense that these are large products with high volume, plenty of users used globally uh, to run some tests. Had some success uh, in, in the sense that we started to influence digital buying at a considerable increase uh, and the output without going really into the details of the experiment, which maybe I'll touch on later, uh, netted out $6 million in ARR. Uh, and, and the experiment itself also became a standard that was globalized and ended up being a part of the experience in 140 different countries. So those two huge milestones really changed the game for me at IBM. Once that happened, essentially I was presented with, I, I like to call it a blank check, but I was presented with the opportunity to say, this is how I think we should build out the stack. This is who I believe that I should hire to enhance my team. And I was given all the support you know, from the executive level down to go out and do that. So I hired a couple of uh, senior level people, not junior level people, an NYU professor, a fellow who had uh, founded and exited two startups successfully uh, to my team to sort of be on the front lines running experiments within whichever product, you know, portfolios, et cetera, we chose. Uh, that was part of, the, part of the deal. And, you know, the other side of it was once this profitability became proven and there was a $4 million experiment after that, a few that were, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars along the way in different areas of the company, uh, we had certainly proven profit. And then, you know, as sort of the, the, the you know, the, the experience would go or the, you know, the direction would go, it became great. We know this is profitable. Now we need as many product teams applying this model as possible. So I spent about the last year and a half over on that side, being very strategic and trying to develop the program that you mentioned in my introduction that became sort of this best in class enterprise model. And what it really came down to was you're going to bring a product team in that knows nothing about growth, sort of like what, what I was. Don't, never heard the word growth hacking. Don't know anything about it. Um, come in, introduce them to the concept, you know, the methodology behind it, the philosophy. Uh, get them to understand that. Get them trained on the tools that are within the stack. Get them into an agile uh, sequence where they're sprinting and they're standing up and they're playing back and it's cross-functional where development and design and marketing and content. Everybody's got a seat at the table that's ideating and helping, you know, execute and whatnot. You're looking at the data on a dashboard and you're analyzing things on a daily basis. Uh, but in six weeks, we could bring a product team through three sprints, six weeks, bring them in, do exactly as I described. And they would quote unquote graduate where they would walk out and they'd be self-enabled for growth hacking. And that really towards the end of my run at IBM became my claim to fame was this enterprise model. Any product team could jump in six weeks later, jump out and be able to go off and you know make growth hacking foundational, data-driven testing every single day. It was, it was a given. So that sort of became my claim to fame, like I said. And it also in, in some ways ran me out of a job at IBM uh, in the sense that I had made myself expendable. My program, the program that I had been managing uh, had now become a standard. So I no longer needed to be that program manager. And you know, as sort of things go in corporate America, 
Uh, I was given a couple of uh, alternate opportunities, sort of lateral, uh, when I really had higher hopes and bigger dreams for myself. And uh, I ended up leaving IBM. Uh, I had all, throughout, uh, to a degree, been doing some consulting on the side. Uh, one of the places I was doing that was Orange Pegs, which is now where I work. Uh, and when I left Orange Pegs, the CEO of Orange Pegs at the time knew if he wanted to get me in a greater capacity than just being a consultant on a couple of gigs that he was going to have to make me an offer. He offered me full-time work. He offered me equity in the agency, which at that point was six years old. Uh, and he said, you can take my established agency, my website, my, my sales model, my marketing content, and turn us into a growth agency. Bring your model in, see how you can sort of productize it for us. And for me, that was half the opportunity. You know, that was half of what it what became the opportunity for me. The other half was I thought to myself, it took me three years to create this model, see profit, see scale, all the things that I set out to do at the beginning. It took me three years to do this. It took me three years to, to you know, generate over 40 million for IBM through our experimentation, running hundreds of experiments, getting it scaled out across portfolios and product teams and everything else. Imagine if I could take this out to a smaller company that moved faster. That's my challenge. I wanna prove that this can work for smaller companies. So I embraced the opportunity at Orange Pegs you know, to really go out and say, I wanna go find SaaS companies, tech companies, startups, you know, smalls and mids, and I want to take the same model and apply it to them. And that really became my mission. And that's really been my journey for the last 15 or so months uh, since I've been involved at Orange Pegs is to really prove that number one, the model, that enterprise model could work for smaller companies. And then number two, uh, obviously have it see success for our clients and our, and our customers and their businesses. And both things have, have happened. Uh, it's, it, we grew despite the pandemic more than we would have ever expected, more than we would have ever anticipated. Uh, three times the number of clients, three times the, the amount of revenue that that agency's ever seen in seven years. We don't even call ourselves an inbound agency anymore. We call ourselves a growth agency. We've gotten some accolades for our work out in the industry from you know, different platforms and publications for a model. So it's been amazing. It's been a great run, very humbling. Uh, you know, we're growing day by day. You know, I'm, I'm constantly doing workshops for new clients and it's been a really cool run, but that really takes me all the way from the beginning to today. Uh, not to mention, you know, on the side, and, and, I, and I always like to call this out because I appreciate it so much. I do a lot of mentoring. Uh, most of it is free, and that's totally cool. I just love to talk shop with uh, agency folks, marketers, startup, you know, startup founders, anybody in between that likes to hear my story. Uh, the, the name of the website is growthmentor.com. I've been there. I've been been doing that for over two years, and I think I've had fifty plus sessions. And it's just great to pump the brakes, take a deep breath, and talk shop with someone every once in a while. So you know, it's really important. That's a that's a big piece of my kind of day to day right now is obviously running all production and development for my agency, but also doing this mentoring. Tell me about the best experiment you ran while you were there at IBM. Sure. Uh, and I and I mentioned that I might refer back to this. So the real breakthrough, uh, it was the very first one. So uh, as I mentioned, you know, it took a while just to break through and find some product teams that would be willing to to adopt and even say, yeah, I'm going to let this 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 random guy who is this growth hacker jump in with my marketers and you know my product developers and my analysts and and marketers and what have you and uh and, and just start running tests all over anything or telling us what to do and the tests that we should run but i was really lucky uh, a very very known very very legacy ibm product called spss spss is a statistics tool 
Uh, it's a subscription-based statistics tool. And it's very, very common in, in the world uh, with institutions, with, with the academic space, with colleges. Many, many colleges where there are statistics students, it's a required software. You get your books and you get everything else and you get SPSS. So immense amount of volume, you know, over 10, I, I think in 2019, you know, there were over 10 million uh, free subscribers and then another uh, seven or eight that were paid you know, around the world. Uh, so you know, a very, very high volume opportunity. Good place to start in that way. Great sandbox to, to sort of get, the, get this test, get these tests rolling. And one of the insights that we discovered early on was that the digital buy, so users coming in and uh, submitting that information, you know, typical, sort of your typical SaaS model, user comes in, whether they're being asked to for, for school or they, they just have a statistical need, coming in, submit their information, add their credit card, take the trial, convert into a paid user, the typical sequence more or less, only 1% of, of, I think it was 15 million uh, in, in year one of, of me being at IBM, 15 million in revenue overall, 1% of that was the digital buy. And that was very frustrating and challenging for, for the product team, as you, as you might imagine. Everything was, there was nothing passive. It was always through a sales call or a third party or whatever it was. It was never people that would simply volunteer their information, download and go, uh, which is obviously, you know, as passive as you get. So uh, we started to try to kind of test against that. What can we do? And one thing that struck me was in the digital journey, on the pricing page, you know, again, really standard stuff. You you come in, you discover, you read about it, you understand the value prop, and you say, okay, what's it cost? And you click through your pages and you know make your way towards doing transacting, if you will. Uh, on the pricing page, which is obviously sort of midstream and going through that process, I found it very interesting that on the pricing page, all you found was trial buttons: try now, try now, try, try for free. And I'm thinking to myself, if people are here to look at pricing, they might want to buy right now we should maybe remove some of these try buttons and replace them with buy buttons. And inevitably it, it took an, it, three iterations in a couple of small countries. We were running some pricing table and pricing page tests, just moving elements around, changing language, uh, you know, both in, the, in sort of the written word and in the calls to action and things like that. Where are they getting placed in the tables? Uh, how are we articulating them in other ways? You know, through all these efforts, uh, we ended up, finding a combination of the calls to action that, that increased engagement 8%, uh, which doesn't sound great, but when you're thinking about you know millions and millions of page views a month, it does make a difference. And the product team really loved it and said, great, we wanna put this everywhere that we have SPSS. So it ended up being two versions of the product in 140 countries total. So that in itself was the first big win from an experiment standpoint, just that scale, being able to see this thing become a global standard huge. But then uh, we decided, as we probably should have, to, to try to realize or actualize you know, any revenue coming out of this, this change. Getting this intervention in all these countries, seeing some page engagement success. And what turns out is when we put pen to paper and ran some calculations, that revenue, that, that monetized to $6 million in ARR. Uh, so we had generated $6 million in new ARR from this intervention and in, in globalizing this experiment. And that was a game changer. You know, my best experiment, and I, and I think it's one of my favorites because it isn't, it isn't that sophisticated, it isn't that advanced. It's very foundational. And then we looked at a data point 
hypothesize about certain things related to that data point and started to test against that. And again, it wasn't you know multivariate. It wasn't uh, a, a sort of a cascade effect where if you do one thing on one page, you do, it, it prompts something new and different that's personal on another page. No, this is just moving elements around on a page. It wasn't A-B testing because we did multiple versions and multiple things. So, but but that's why I like it is its simplicity and and obviously the magnitude that that it created coming out uh, and and it really got IBM's attention and and it changed the game in the sense that then I was able to go out, build a team, build a stack, really start to scale this thing out. Uh, so you know it's it, it it was the groundbreaking moment. At looking back at my progression as a growth person, uh, you know, a growth hacker, that was the one. So, and a big part of why you got that blank check. Exactly. It wasn't really like they handed me one, but essentially I was invited to, you know, add the tools that I needed to add and add the, the team that I needed to add. Whereas before, you know, it was me and I was just banging off walls, doing it all on my own. So yeah, really. What do you think is the biggest tectonic shift that we're dealing with today? Uh, I think it's growth hacking. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and of course I have a bias, but I don't want to use, I don't want to over abuse that term, even in the sake of our conversation. What I really think it is, is, is measuring and testing. That's the tectonic, tectonic shift because that isn't just about growth hacking. That's just about a mindset. That's a growth mindset. That's a that data-driven mindset. And the way that technology has changed the way we all do business, you, you always now, or, or, or the majority of the time, unless you're living under a rock, you have access to data. You have access to information that will guide you towards doing a better job, growing your business faster, learning more about your customers. So, you know, like I said, what's tectonic is that, that the shift is that that information is available. And, and what really makes it, you know, such a great opportunity is that you can act upon it. And it's very easy to do that, which really becomes the essence of the growth hacking is you're using the data to take actions and run tests and let those tests guide the moves that you make to improve and delight your customer base and also obviously grow and, and grow your business and allow it to succeed. And for all of you uh, to prosper as a result. So I really, like I said, I think it's data and testing. Uh, the combination of those two things uh, has really caused the shift. And I've been right in the middle of it for the last few years. So exciting place to be in an exciting time. You definitely have been riding the wave of a tectonic shift. What yeah. is your top monetization secret? So my top monetization secret, I would say is uh, to, to it, it goes back to things I mentioned uh, within the foundational, the fundamentals. You have to have that curiosity. Uh, I, I know that sounds like it's sort of an indirect route to monetization, but I, I believe and I've seen it firsthand that having curiosity, you know, caring about your business, caring about the, the growth of your, your business or your product or whatever it is with a level of curiosity can be a moneymaker for you. Because if you are complacent and things are, are sitting static and you're just happy with the status quo, yeah, you, make, may, you may make money, but you may be missing out on millions because you're not you're not ideating, you're not hypothesizing, you're not measuring, you're not wondering, what if I tried this or what if I tried that? So having that curiosity, you know, really can be a moneymaker. And it's, it's, not, it's not a natural thing. You have to put yourself in the mindset to say, what if, you know, what if this happened? What if I tried that? What if we gave this to our customers instead? And let's say you find that silver bullet, which isn't easy to do. It could change everything. Your business could completely shift and pivot away from something you thought was good to something that's really great. 
So what you're saying is have curiosity. That's the monetization secret. Then that led, then that leads you to testing. And then, it, and then the testing leads you to monetization growth. Correct. Correct. But you can't test if you're not curious in the first, you have to ponder the experience. You have to ponder everything. And once you start to do that, the tests will organically come about and then you just have to go execute. Thank you so much, Jason, for sharing your stories and knowledge with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, growth hacking is any strategy focused on driving growth while spending as little time and money as possible. Number two, growth hacking is a significant tectonic shift, but what it comes down to is testing and analyzing data. We need to have a data-driven mindset. Number three, curiosity leads to experimentation, which leads to monetization. Number four, curiosity leads to greater learning, engagement, and performance at work. Number five, we live in a data-driven world. The amount of data created by consumers doubles every two years. Source, MIT Technology Review. We need to make sure we use all the new data to our advantage. Number six, success may very well depend on how well we use customer data and information in ethical ways to find new ways to grow our business. If you enjoyed this interview and want to learn more about Jason or connect with him, you can find him on LinkedIn or on growthmentor.com. And there's links to both of those websites in the blog post for this episode. Do you want to be a better digital monetizer? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. Number one, you can get a free monetization assessment of your business or subscribe to the free monetization e-magazine on monetizationnation.com. Number two, you can subscribe to the Monetization Nation podcast or YouTube channel. And number three, you can follow Monetization Nation on Instagram and Twitter. Has growth hacking helped grow your business? If so, what growth hacking strategies have worked best for your company? Please join our private Monetization Nation group and share your insights with other digital monetizers. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success in your growth hacking. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.